You're listening to the Windows into the Bible podcast with Mark Turnage. Reading the Bible with understanding requires reading the words of the Bible within the world of the Bible. This podcast engages the spatial, historical, cultural, and spiritual world of the Bible to help transform how you read and understand the Bible. Have questions or want to interact with Mark? Tweet us using the hashtag WITBQuestions or email them to questions at WITBpodcast.com. For more insights, information about the podcast, and bonus resources and notes for each episode, visit WITBpodcast.com. Now, let's get into today's episode. Do you ever find yourself confused reading the Bible? Do you struggle to find relevance in what you're reading? Do you feel like you're missing out? That the authors of Scripture intended you to get something that you're just not quite getting? Would you like to be more confident in your ability to understand and interpret the Bible? I'm Mark Turnage, and this is the Windows into the Bible podcast. Have you ever wondered, what did Jesus look like? Of course, we have a large number of Jesus films, right, that have all showed us how he looked. We have everything from the long-haired Jesus of the 70s. But there's something that's consistent often in Jesus movies, and that is that Jesus and his disciples wear garments like everyone else, just muted, dark colors. They all look alike. They all look like the common people. And it's interesting that these Jesus films often depict the Jewish religious leaders as wearing something that looks like the modern prayer shawl so that you get even visually this contrast between Jesus and those being clearly identified with Judaism. But let me ask you this. From the testimony of the Gospels, What are the two defining physical features that we know about Jesus? Now, this is more than just simply a question of historical inquisitiveness. This actually, as we'll see, has relevance to how we think about, understand, and portray Jesus. Notice that the Gospels never describe how tall he was, what his weight was, his eye color or his hair color. Doesn't describe the length of his hair or of his beard. There are only two physical features that the Gospels give us about Jesus. The first one we encounter in Luke chapter 2 For after the birth of Jesus, Luke tells us that eight days after his birth, he was given his name and he was circumcised. 
Now, something of a very important historical note is that while the Old Testament Hebrew Bible articulates the covenant of circumcision all the way back in Genesis 17 with Abraham, the practice of giving a son his name on the eighth day at his circumcision is something that develops after the period of the Old Testament Hebrew Bible. We actually don't find it written down in Jewish sources for about 500 years or so after Jesus. The first mention of the practice of the naming of the Son on the eighth day at his circumcision is the Gospel of Luke with John the Baptist and Jesus. Now, there are a number of these details that we find in the Gospels and Acts where actually the New Testament provides our earliest witness and testimony of practices and cultural details that we don't find written down in Jewish sources for hundreds of years later. And in this way, the New Testament is very important for the history and practice within Judaism. But oftentimes we read over Jesus's circumcision on the eighth day and go, oh, okay, maybe it's because that practice is widely practiced in a number of cultures today. But let me put it to you like this. If I took a hundred men Gentile men from the first century and line them up, and I put Jesus of Nazareth in that lineup, based upon that solitary detail, you would be able to pick him out. If I put Jesus in a lineup with a hundred Jewish men, you could not. One of the biggest criticisms that the Greco-Roman world had against the Jews was the act of circumcising the male foreskin. You see, they saw that the way that a person was created, that was beautiful, that was divine, that was the way the gods intended it to be. And so they saw circumcision as mutilation. But of course, within Judaism, that's the mark of one adhering to the covenant that God made with Israel. We even hear about Jews trying to incorporate themselves within the Greco-Roman world, undergoing surgical procedures to reverse the process of circumcision. Remember, if you went to the gymnasium or the Roman bathhouse, everything is being done in the nude. So it's real easy to tell who the Jewish guy is in the gym. I always add, thank goodness times have changed. Even Paul, in 1 Corinthians 7, mentions this fact when he says, those of you who are circumcised do not seek to cover up the marks of your circumcision. So one of the only physical features that we know about Jesus of Nazareth, based upon the testimonies of the Gospels, is that he was circumcised. And that says something about how we should understand Jesus.
The second detail that the Gospels give us, and there's only two, remember, is his dress. You remember the story of the woman with the issue of blood. And she comes up behind Jesus in a crowd, and she reaches out to touch. Now, many of your translations will say the edge of his robe, uh, the hem of his garment, or something like this. But the Greek term that is used by the gospel writers, Matthew and Luke, is kraspedo. This is the same term that is used when Jesus talks about the Pharisees lengthening their kraspedo, their fringes. Just to note, in that instance, all your Bible translations translate it rightly as fringes. But very few Bible translations translate what the woman with the issue of blood latches onto. Let's talk a minute about dress in the ancient world. A person's dress was rather simple. For a man, he would wear up against his body, and yes, he could have some form of underwear, but he would wear a tunic. The Hebrew word for it is haluk, and the Greek term is chiton. For a man, this came down just below his knees because men had to work. This idea of men wearing robes that went all the way down to their feet or their ankles is not practical. We see this depicted, for example, in the frescoes and in the paintings, the wall paintings of the synagogue in Syria at Dura Europa. This would be, this tunic would be manufactured by basically sewing two pieces of cloth together, leaving an opening for the head and for the arms. Over top of the tunic, one would wear a mantle. The Hebrew word for this is talit, and in Greek it's called imation. Now let me say something, because this is oftentimes misunderstood. Today, in modern Judaism, the prayer shawl that men pray with for their morning prayers is called a talit. It's the same word. Do not make the mistake of assuming that the talit existed in the first century in terms of the prayer shawl. Men in the first century prayed with their heads uncovered. Women prayed with their heads covered. We see this even being described by Paul in 1 Corinthians. There were no prayer shawls in the first century. The talit simply was the outer mantle that was worn over the tunic. Now, within the Greco-Roman world, the fabrics of these two garments, the tunic and the mantle, could be a mixed fabric, linen and wool, but not Jewish dress. Now, obviously, we have not, in archaeological excavations, discovered a lot of textiles, but they have found a few in the arid area along the Dead Sea. And in those places where the textiles belong to Jews, 
they have never found any with mixed fabrics. Remember, the book of Leviticus forbids the mixing of fabrics. So often the tunic would be linen and the mantle would be wool. Now, of course, everybody knows of the unique outer cloak for a Roman, which would have been an oblong piece called the toga, but the mantle is not a toga. The mantle is a rectangular piece. And what also was unique is that because in the book of Numbers, it commands that Jewish males will fix fringes on the four corners of this mantle. These Jewish mantles would have the fringes on them. The term in Hebrew is tzitzit. The plural is tzitziot. And that's why Jewish men typically are not going to wear togas, especially in the land of Israel, because a toga was an oblong piece of cloth and does not have the corners on it. Now, understand that the term tzitzit, the fringes, the book of Numbers said that you will affix these to your garments, and when you'll see them, you'll remember the commandments of God. The Greek translation of the Old Testament Hebrew Bible, the Septuagint, translates the Hebrew word tzitzit with the Greek word kraspedon. Exactly what we find mentioned in the Gospels. Now, what's interesting is of the textile garments that have been discovered thus far from the date from the first century to the second century AD within the land of Israel, none of them have tzitzit on them. Now, this could be because of a couple of different reasons. Number one, it could be because they cut them off. Like, for example, if they used it to bury the person with, they, they would cut off the tzitzit and maybe keep it as a memento or so forth. It also would seem to suggest that not everybody wore the tzitzit. Yet we hear, not only in the instance with the woman with the issue of blood, but Matthew also describes Jesus on one of his healing ministries, walking along and the people reaching up and grabbing the fringes. Let me kind of frame it this way for you. Again, based upon this solitary descriptive detail in the Gospels, I could line up a hundred Gentile men in a lineup and stick Jesus of Nazareth in there. And based upon this solitary description of him wearing the fringes, I could pick him out. If I put a hundred Jewish men, I may be able to pick Jesus out, yes or no, because undoubtedly some of them will have the fringes. Maybe not all of them, but some of them will. But what this tells us is that Jesus operated expressing, even in his dress, a high level of Jewish piety. Now notice for a second, these two physical descriptive features that the Gospels give us. He's circumcised, and he wears the fringes. 
that marks him out within the ancient world as being thoroughly ensconded in the world of ancient Judaism. Both of those details. Now go back to the Jesus movies. Have we ever seen Jesus depicted like that? No. Typically, it's the Jewish leaders are the ones that look like the Jews. And Jesus and his disciples, first of all, they're wearing tunics that go all the way down to their ankles. And as we said, men didn't do that. Women did. Women would wear, because of modesty, they would wear, their tunics would go down to the top of their ankles, and then they would have like a, a piece of cloth that would gather underneath their bosom to kind of tie up their tunic. But men, their tunics only went to the top of their knees. But moreover, we don't see Jesus in his dress being depicted as wearing the fringes. We don't see this in Christian artwork. Now, I am aware of two artistic paintings of Jesus in which it shows this story of the woman with the issue of blood reaching out. And the only problem is while she's reaching out with the fringe, and this is modern artwork I'm talking about here, the fringes are not the Jewish fringes. Now, interestingly enough, there's a depiction of this story, this gospel story, in the catacombs of Rome. And there, the woman is touching his fringes on his mantle. Oftentimes, we will find in the Bible these little details that provide windows into the cultural world of the Bible. It's not enough to just simply say, oh yeah, you know, Jesus was a Jew. But then to act and interpret and understand him outside the world of ancient Judaism, especially when the Gospels themselves describe him as even dressing like someone who's a part of ancient Judaism, particularly someone who expresses a greater degree of Jewish piety. These cultural windows into the Bible that seem like just little pieces of color in the biblical narrative actually help us to understand the greater cultural world in which the Bible takes place. And I would say that our translations of the New Testament, of the Gospels in particular, our artwork, our depictions of Jesus in media, need to reflect the historical 
accuracy of the gospel description of him. This is not me trying to re-Judaize Jesus. This is what's there. These are the details that are there. I'm simply trying to understand it. Pay attention to these little details that are scattered throughout the Bible. And when we understand them within their cultural contexts and frameworks, we gain a more clear, precise, three-dimensional, realistic picture of the Bible, its world, and the figures that it speaks about. I'm Mark Turnage, and this is the Windows into the Bible podcast. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to the Windows into the Bible podcast. If you're enjoying the podcast, I want to invite you to rate, review, subscribe, and share. This actually helps us to grow our audience. So again, if you're enjoying what we're doing, please remember to rate us, to review us, to subscribe to the podcast, and to share it with your friends. One other thing I want to encourage you to do is I actually wrote a book, Windows into the Bible. It's available on Amazon, and this book provides case studies that help you to better learn the four windows, spatial, historical, cultural, and spiritual, and how those contexts can help you better understand the words of the Bible. So check it out on Amazon, Windows into the Bible, and don't forget to rate us, review us, subscribe, and share. Thank you all so much. You've been listening to the Windows into the Bible podcast with Mark Turnage. If you have questions related to this episode, tweet them to us using the hashtag WITBQuestions or email them to questions at WITBpodcast.com. You can also find resources related to this and other episodes at WITBpodcast.com. Thanks for listening.